Have you entered our giveaway with Looking Glass Gems? Visit our Instagram at the Pasty Tapes to enter now. Looking Glass Gems, beautiful, affordable crystal rhinestones. Shop lookingglassgems.com. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Special thanks to superfan BFF level supporters Kyle H., the man with a hat, Bella Adana, and Violet Passion. To join the Pasty Tapes fan club, visit thepastytapes.com. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Let's go ahead and jump right into this episode. Today's guest is a performer who I absolutely adore. I met her for the first time in 2018 at the Nashville Burlesque Festival. Our stations were right next to each other um, on the Thursday night show at Corsair. And I remember just looking at her and being like, oh my god, her hair is perfect. How did she do that? I did not understand. Um, Her acts are hilarious and thoughtful and powerful. I think she's a superhero. There's just something that I love about her. Um, I've gotten many opportunities to get to know her, and she's someone who I adore and someone who I call a friend. Her class on entertainment theory, if you ever have the chance to take it, do it. I thought it was very insightful, very, very helpful. She's an incredible instructor. Uh, Very glad I took that class. She also gave these really cool worksheets out uh, in her class, and I keep them in my studio, pinned up on my pin board, on my smut board, actually. So I have this bulletin board full of Polaroids of naked babes, fellow burlesquers, and then there's this like series of worksheets given to me by this performer uh, that I use when building an act. So that's just a really nice, I guess, physical representation of what happens in my brain. Anyway, this performer is incredible. She's magical. I adore her. She's hilarious. I roomed with her at the Savannah Burlesque Festival last year with Gidget Bardot and Lola Lacele. We had a really, really fun time. This performer is the regional headliner of the Smoky Mountain Burlesque Festival, which takes place this weekend. My mother, world-famous Bob, and my burlesque sibling, Bobby Barnaby, are also headliners, so that's super exciting. If you're in Knoxville, go ahead and check that festival out if you aren't already. Later this year, she'll be headlining the Savannah Burlesque Festival in Savannah, Georgia. That is a delightful festival. Um, If you didn't get a chance to apply, definitely do it next year. One of my favorites. This performer is the Doris Day of Dropping Trow. This is my conversation with Dee Flowered. I kind of want to ask you about your Willy Wonka act. Um, What show was it where you had your magical moment where everyone was singing? I performed that act in Atlanta for the first time at Dragon Con Burlesque. They were in a room at the time that seated, I think it was 1,200 people. That's a lot of people. Like, yeah, 1,200 people. It is a lot of people. They are now in a venue that I think does 1,500, and I have performed in the new one where they have 1,500. But yeah, it's a lot of people. Because it's a convention, you know, some of these people won't have seen burlesque before or they will have only seen burlesque, um, like, at the convention once a year. Um, And most of them and would never have seen me. I think I'd been performing for, like, three years. I'd I'd been kittening before then, but I'd been performing for, like, three years at that point. And... 
most of the performers backstage didn't know my work either. And I went out and the iconic, you know, the beginning of the Gene Wilder version, you know, of Pure Imagination right. comes on and there's that little dilly 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 you know, that, that little noise. <laughs> yeah. Or, like whatever that is, flute or something. And um, it has this wonderful slow build at the beginning. And I, in my act, I stay very serious until the moment where he begins singing. And then I like light up my face with a smile. So I've been very serious and like, you know, I'm all crotchety looking right up until that moment. And as I'm allowing my face to burst into this smile, the song is starting and I start to hear strains of people singing. And by the time it gets to the chorus, like the whole room is singing along with this song. Oh my gosh, I have chills. And it was just the most amazing experience. And I I had been so intimidated I mean to be performing for that many people and um and also um some performers who I have a great deal of respect for were backstage watching and yeah having this moment where um where everybody's singing along and I'm feeling like embraced by the audience when I was so nervous was just amazing it was it was a wonderful feeling and it really so it felt like this big turning point you know in my career as this audience was like singing along right and you're going through your act um and I've heard you talk about this act before what was going through your mind like as this magical moment was happening oh gosh I don't know I guess it's that moment where you realize the audience is really with you you know, um, that's my favorite feeling when I'm on stage and I'm performing and I know that the audience is joyful about what I'm doing and that they're with me, that they're that they're in my corner. I feel like that's the best the best feeling in the world. In that act, I, I think I've talked to you about it some. Um, I pull out props that look like large wrapped candy over the course of this act. And every time I unwrap a piece of candy, it's, um, it's a large sculpture of a sex toy that's painted to look like candy. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the audience, of course, has this nostalgic reaction to me being Willy Wonka and then um, pulling out the first dildo. And it's not an actual dildo. It's a, it's a sculpture of one because I needed it to be really big um, so that it would read. And pulling out that first dildo and having the audience realize what's going on is a really great feeling. (laughs) One of the funniest um, experiences with that, I actually performed that, um, oh gosh, I performed that for Just FM Productions um, at their uh, show at City Winery in Atlanta um, for Gigi La Femme. After the show, I had a couple come up to me. Um, and like I said, these are all sculpted props. They are not they are not actual sex toys, but they are sculpted to look like a slightly larger representation of actual sex toys. And this very sweet couple came up to me after the show so excited because they said, oh, my gosh, we have that peppermint d- double-headed dildo. We have the same one at home. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, I know. I mean, it's. 
that's awesome. But it's definitely not the same one because mine is just a sculpture. It's it's not a real product that I bought. I didn't know you could buy it as a real product. And they were like, no, it, it has to be the same. It looks exactly the same as the one we have at home. So um, I've actually had audience members who had toys at home that look like my props. Oh, you know how, you know, we are so privileged to be on that stage and you have those moments where as an audience member, you're like, wow, I see me up there. That was their moment. Yes. <laughs> that was their moment. Yes. And they were so excited. And it was really cool. I also, I actually felt really gleeful that they felt comfortable sharing that with me. I mean, that was really cool. Right. Um, because the point of that act to me um, it's not lascivious at all. I don't simulate sex with any of the toys that I pull out. Um, the point of that act to me is the idea of these toys being like candy to adults, being a treat, being a, a delightful surprise, them being something to be joyful about. And the act having this spirit of um, embracing sex and sexuality and not feeling shame about the utilization of toys. And um, so it was kind of like the ultimate expression of somebody saying, you know, no, we're not this shamed at all. We, we think we have the exact same thing at home. That was awesome. Like, that, was, that was a really great moment of that kind of connecting with my content. So You've been really involved in the different nerdlesque kind of scenes down there in the Southeast. Do you want to tell me more about your work in Nerdlesque? Let's see. I, I do a variety of characters, and it's funny because I think that um, some audiences know me best for my Nerdlesque, which, I mean, as Willy Wonka evidences, you know, I do try to pull um, other ideas and themes in with my Nerdlesque. So, you know, Willy Wonka is a sex-positive act about a pop culture character. I also do acts as, I do an act as Rita Skeeter from Harry Potter. I do an act as Eve from WALL-E, the, the Disney movie WALL-E. Um, but I've, I've performed with, um, I've performed with Yamacon, um, every year that they've been willing to have me. And that's a great experience. Um, I've been lucky enough to be cast in the Dragon burlesque show, uh, multiple times. And I've done shows with, um, fandom nerdlesque in, um, that are based in Atlanta and do a lot of, uh, kind of full immersion, um, theme shows. What would you say is your fandom? My my fandom that's my thing. Yeah, what's your thing? What's Steve Flowers' thing? Hmm. I love a lot of my 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 biggest fandoms are probably Whedonverse stuff like Buffy and um, Firefly. I'm a huge fan Solid of those. Choice. And oddly, don't have an act from any of those um, those worlds. I probably should. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Dune, um, the the novel by Frank Herbert, and um, am planning on putting together. I mean, I'm I have been working here and there on a, on a Dune act because that's been something that's been such a lifelong love of mine that it just seems crazy I don't have an act that is um, that is focused on that that science fiction novel. So I love this. You're nerdy. 
I'm super nerdy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a lot of fandoms. It's hard to pick one that is my primary. I'm a big sci-fi girl. You know, when I first came up with Deflowered, my idea for, because I was doing, I knew I was going to do some nerdlesque stuff. My first way of describing D was to say that it was um, what would have happened if Marilyn Monroe and Zaphod Beeblebrox had a baby. And I don't know if you're familiar with Zaphod Beeblebrox, but he's from um, Douglas Adams' uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, yes. Yeah. And a really wacky character. And um, the idea of this really off-the-wall, like... Um, unexpectedly strange character was um, influential to how I developed my ideas for D. So I'm I'm definitely involved by or I'm definitely influenced by my love of science fiction. I've seen you do your like period tampon number, which is hilarious and really really powerful. Like you are a true superhero there. And something I noticed about you and how you identify in terms of burlesque is you call yourself a comedic burlesque performer, like not just a burlesque performer. The word comedic is usually in front of that on all of your bio and, you know, that kind of promo material stuff. Can you talk to me about your style of burlesque and, you know, how you've found this like funny bone in this strippery art form? I I really like the idea of um, kind of setting an expectation so that audiences who are not burlesque familiar are, I guess, set at ease in a sense by the idea of um, of my pre- my presenting comedy. Um, I think a lot of my work is it's it's intentionally subversive. Um, because I I am not naturally blonde. I am not naturally blue-eyed. I am putting on this... I am naturally high femme, um, but I am putting on this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, exaggerated, um, you know, um, kind of mainstream, inoffensive femininity. And getting on stage and telling people that I'm what I'm going to do is intended to be funny, and it is. Um, but then I'm getting up there, having created this comfortable environment for um, for a more mainstream audience, and then I. I add in the element of okay, but if we're if we're here for nudity, and if you're here to see my boobs, I, I am going to make you laugh, and I am going to present this glamorous exterior. But most of my work also has callbacks to, um, you know, uh, the vulva or menstruation or um, or you know the 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 vulva or vagina in art or sex toys and sex positivity um i think that coming at um my my art in a way that um uses this exaggerated femininity and this humor to be and and this very kind of um bland 
you know, image of femininity. And then that, that disarming an audience with that then allows me to present ideas and to broach topics that they might otherwise be resistant to. You know, I have had, and I'm performing in, you know, the American South, um, and I have had, you know, good old boys get a tampon shot at them and take it in stride. And I, I think that it's, it's, it gives me a, um, a, a valuable power and to be able to communicate with people who might not always be open to the kind of feminism that I want to bring to the stage. Um, but being able to laugh and being, have, having this, um, this kind of joyous, I call I call myself a boob clown, having my boob clown silliness frame the serious things that I want people to connect with gives me a, a powerful platform that I try to use well. We've done the Nashville Burlesque Festival together. We did mm-hmm. the Savannah Burlesque Festival together. And I saw you do your um, tampon act mm-hmm. there. And I remember the first time I saw you, and it was definitely affirmed the next time I saw you, that you are a superhero. That's something so like wonderful because you know you have you know, conventional kind of attractive features, right? Gigantic boobs, like really like bright blue eyes, like really adorable hair. And yet you're like up there being like a powerful badass, right? And it's fun. And it's really, really fun, like what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I mean, I feel like, um, and I don't, and I don't at all mean this as a, as a criticism of blonde white women, there is this kind of um, inherent power and free pass to in some, in some arenas, um, given to those identifiers. And so I feel like by coming from outside of that, not actually having been a, a blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, cupie doll, <laughs> my whole life. Right. That is what you look like. There are pictures that I've seen of you, yeah, that's, or that's what you look yeah, like. Yeah, that's, that's what I try to put on, um, because I feel that it's disarming. It's this um, this idealized thing that um, particularly um, male, particularly, well, not even just male, but particularly audiences who may not be as receptive to feminism are prepared to relax for that vision and then it allows them to take in ideas that they might not otherwise. Um, but it's it's definitely um, something I'm trying to utilize <laughs> as a tool, but um, to also kind of use that in a good way. So tell me some burlesque origin story stuff. Um, how did you end up choosing the name Deflowered? How did we end up with this living, breathing, blonde-haired, blue-eyed boob clown it's funny I um like I was saying you know I I think that a lot of my work is um comes from a standpoint of wanting to be subversive um and kind of like stealthily sneak in like important messages 
Um, and the name, um, I, I have this vivid memory of when I was in high school, um, <laughs> actually, um, the, the person who I was first intimate with, um, bemoaned the horror that the word def- deflowered, um, or to be deflowered was this bad thing that the name, the, 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 that, that word, the name of that action was taking something away from somebody, taking away their flower, that you were damaging them. If they, if you were the first person they were intimate with, that you were, it, it implies with women, um, the idea of being ruined, you know, the idea of having their flower taken away. So, um, so the name, um, for me is an effort to kind of turn that on its head and to make deflowered the, the, as a name to make it a positive thing and to relate the idea of, um, flowering or embracing sex as a, a positive, um, and uplifting idea. I, I definitely didn't figure out exactly what I wanted to do with my work overnight. I was a stage kitten for my first year um, while I was training and figuring out who, who I was going to be and what kind of work I wanted to create. I come from a theater background. All my training is in theater. Um, I don't have any training in dance, or I did not have any training in dance. I have taken dance classes um, since I, I started uh, my burlesque journey, but I did not start out with dance training um, I started out with acting training, um, and I really wasn't sure where I was going to want to take it. And at first I just really enjoyed getting to dress up and I, I had run crew and stage managed in theater. So, um, being a stage kitten seemed, you know, very natural, just meant that I got to wear great outfits while doing it, um, instead of wearing all that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, the troupe that, um, that I began my career with is Effie's Club Follies in Athens, Georgia, and they actually had a knack for all sorts of fun names for things, and one of those is they don't call their stage kittens stage kittens, they call them, um, prop tarts. Oh, I love that. So, I always thought that was really cute, yeah. Um, so I was a prop tart for my first year in our industry. Um, and, uh, it was gradual figuring out, um, how, how I wanted to present myself on stage and figuring out that I could come to it from a place of, of humor, um, and what kind of humor I wanted that to be, that I wanted it to be this disarming humor that I wanted to, um, create something where my uh my my presentation of sexuality was silly and lighthearted but also you know had this underlying callback to my my feminism right do you feel like you're able to achieve your goal through like do you feel like you've been successful in achieving your goal um, of being, you know, an out loud feminist and getting that kind of feminist message across, like wrapped up in something funny and fun? 
I think so. Um, I mean, and I do have acts that are not, I mean, of course, everything we do is sex positive, right? Like, but I do have acts that are not um, specific to that. Um, I also do nerdless. I also, um, I do, I do a couple of sort of classic or slightly more serious acts, but I do think that I've managed to be pretty consistent in the character of what I'm bringing to stage and that, I mean, I've had people tell me that the work that I'm presenting, um, is influential or that it's been meaningful for them. And I've just been surprised with just some of the simple things. Like I get more people in conversations about female anatomy or um, reproductive rights or menstruation in general than um, than I would have ever thought was possible. <laughs> so um, in that sense, I definitely think that, uh, that it's been, that it's been effective, that I'm doing okay so far. <laughs> I think so. Um, talk Thank to you. me more about your, you know, you said you have a theater background. Um, I think that that really shows, especially with how expressive you are on stage. Um, you're also involved in Gonzerific films. Oh yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me more and tell our audience a little bit more about that and the work that you do? Sure. Um, Gonzerific is, well, at its heart, it's Andrew N. Shearer, who is also um, my best friend. He and I have been close friends since uh, 2012 when we first started working together. But he's been doing Gonzerific for, gosh, 15 years now. And so he and his friends, um, many of whom were musicians, um, who were all women, and most of them were lesbians, um, started making movies. So inherently, the, the material they were making was, you know, um, all female-centered, a lot of queer themes, and they were, you know, modeling their work after the B-movies and horror movies that they loved. As it's grown, um, Gonzerific is still almost entirely people who are just friends um, and like working together first and foremost. Um, the goal is to make female-friendly and queer-friendly um, content. A lot of what we do is written and directed and almost exclusively acted in by women. We, we play with themes that we've seen in B-movies and turn them on their head we sometimes do things just because we can, and it's funny to do to us to do so. A lot of it is just the experience of making the art itself. How can people find Gonzerific films now if it's not on Amazon? Is there any way that people can watch If you that? look up Gonzerific on YouTube and Vimeo, um, we do have some materials there. Um, I think we still have like one film left up on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure. I think we might have one left. And then you can order the DVDs. The DVDs are actually great because they have a lot more content. Some of the titles are things like, um, gosh, I've been in movies. Uh, we have Space Boobs, the original film, and then Space Boobs in Space, which I wrote Space Boobs in Space, and I'm very proud of that script. And uh, one of my favorites is actually the um, compilation that's called Underground Cinema, S-I-N, 
Emma that has an homage to Russ Meyer on it. And burlesque fans might be familiar with um, Russ Meyer because he worked with a great many burlesque performers in his heyday. And uh, like, like um, everybody's uh, familiar with Natividad, um, she was one of his big stars. In addition to her burlesque career, she was in movies with him. And so we've taken some inspiration from his films in our film Barbara, which is um, in the underground cinema compilation. Almost frame for frame, recreate a Russ Meyer film, except we replaced one of the one of the antagonists in um, the film with my boobs. My boobs. Just your my boobs. boobs are the character. <laughs> yeah, they are a character all in themselves. Yeah, basically. <laughs> oh, this is exciting. Okay, next burlesque sleepover. I have. I know what we're watching. <laughs> I love how many layers D has, and I love like. I love just learning so much about you. It's so exciting. And I'm really glad that we, oh, thank you. Like, you know, for having this conversation. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, my me. gosh. Of course. Okay. One last question. Um, so mm-hmm. this year, you are the regional headliner of not one, but two festivals, two yes. really great festivals um, in your slice of the United States. You're the regional headliner mm-hmm. for the um, Smoky Mountain Burlesque Festival, which is happening in mid-September, and then also the regional mm-hmm. headliner of the Savannah Burlesque Festival, which were, which is where we got to connect last year, um, and that's in December, and I'm yes. so excited. I mean, Savannah was a great festival, has excellent headliners this year for 2019, and Smoky Mountain, I mean, we have our girl, Lola Le Soleil, who I love, my sibling, mm-hmm. Bobby Barnaby, and my mother, Bob, and of course, Blanche. How can we not love Blanche? Like, such a solid lineup, and you're part of it. What was your reaction? <laughs> what, was, <laughs> what was it like finding out that you'd be headlining, you know, Smoky Mountain and then Savannah? It's, well, the Smoky Mountain one is kind of a funny story, Um I'm good friends with, like, uh, all of the people who run Smoky Mountain are people that I care about. And um, Salome Cabaret um, are run by the same people. And they were the first people to book me for a big headlining gig outside of Georgia. Um, So they've been a part of my career since fairly early on and have been very influential in my growth. Um, and they're good friends and I know that they believe in me, of course, and everything, but, um, but John Kemp, who is one of the producers called me and said, um, yeah, D, so we're trying to think who we should have as a regional headliner for 2019. And instead of picking up on what he was, you know, hinting at, I immediately said, oh, well, I can help with that. You know, um, let me give it some thought um, there. And I started like listing some of the names of people in our region who I thought that he should really consider highlighting um, and who would really be worthy of that honor. And he started laughing and said, honey, that was a joke. What I'm calling to ask you if you'll do this if you'll be the regional headliner it just never occurred to me that that was that was what he was going to be asking me you're so Um, humble I can see this happening like I can hear this conversation (laughs) happening between you and John (laughs) 
he thought it was hilarious. It hadn't even occurred to me. And I was sitting there going, oh, I'd be happy to help you think of people to ask. Th- you know, thank you for thinking of me as somebody who's, whose input you would value. <laughs> I'm such a dork. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was really excited. And then I saw when I saw who all the other headliners were, um, that's, it's, it's a little, it's exciting, but it's also a little intimidating with both of these festivals, um, to see the company that I get to be amongst. Um, I'm, I'm still, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years, but I still have these moments where I kind of pinch myself and go, how am I, I'm friends with some of the performers that I've looked up to for so long, you know, that's crazy. Um, you know, people actually want me around. <laughs> so getting to have the honor of being a regional headliner for, for these festivals, um, that, Means so much to me that I have that I have attended, you know, as a performer who applies just like everybody else, and and you know have you know attended when you know paying for my hotel room and paying my way to to get to participate in these things, um, getting to turn around and have the honor of of being asked to uh, be an invited headliner has just been kind of crazy to me. I think I'm still adjusting to the idea. Deflowered, it was so lovely talking to you tonight. Thank you for sharing about your menu of acts, your looking forward to these two festivals that you're headlining. Thank you for talking about your burlesque origin story. You were such a treat to be friends with, and I'm so glad I got to talk to you on the podcast. How can people find you on the internet? Um, Let's see. You can find me on on Twitter and Instagram as at dflowered. That's D-E-E flowered. My website is a page on the Evie's Club Follies page, but you can find it by searching dflowered.com. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook under dflowered comedic Burles. Thank you so much, Dee. I will talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. You're wonderful. Thanks again, Dee. Dee also gave me a ton of advice when prepping to go to Beehoff. She told me I was going to cry a lot, probably. That was true. Uh, She also gave advice to, like, hydrate and sleep and, like, really, really take in the legend stuff. All of her advice was really, really helpful. Dee, I adore you. I hope I will see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Pasty Tapes. Special thanks to our superfan BFF level supporters, Kyle H., Bella Adana, and Violet Passion. Special thanks to our friend level supporters, Tony Tabasco, Kitson Sass, and Rosalie Bloom. If you want to join the Pasty Tapes fan club, visit us at thepastytapes.com. You can follow the Pasty Tapes across the internet at the Pasty Tapes on Instagram and Twitter and on our website. I would love to hear from you. I'm currently collecting tales of BurlyCon. Give me some BurlyCon advice. Give me a fun story about BurlyCon. Dial in or send us an email. The Pacey Tapes hotline, which is open for your voicemails and texts, is 1-530-PASTIES. Or shoot me an email at thepaceytapes at gmail.com. I am your host, Showmymore, the steamiest Asian dumpling. And you can find me across the internet at Showmymore. This was the latest episode of The Pasty Tapes. 
Thank you again for listening, and I will talk to you soon. You have been listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Shomai Moore, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening, and see you later, ducklings. Okay, my schedule for the rest of the year is pretty stacked. If you want to catch me live and in person, for full information, visit my website, showmymore.com. Otherwise, here's some choice dates. I'll be performing in Chicago for the first time in a while. You can catch me at The Body Political, which is taking place October 12th, and I'll be debuting a brand new act. November 6th through the 11th, I will be in Seattle for BurleyCon. I'll be teaching twice during BurleyCon. On Thursday, I'll be leading my workshop, Cooler on the Internet. And then on Friday of BurleyCon, I'll be presenting a Burley Lab so you can walk away with something from my class. My Burley Lab is called Social Media in Your Sleep. Check it out. Check out BurleyCon. Something I love. And then in later in November, the weekend of the 22nd, I will be in Minneapolis. Haven't performed there yet, but I love it. So excited. So many people I love out there in Minneapolis. And then the rest of the year, who knows? December, maybe I'll go to a family Christmas party. Maybe I'll sleep. I don't know what's going on. But for more information, find me across the internet. Visit my website, showmymore.com.